to specialize in being able to treat whatever walks through the door. I have to see whatever comes through the door because anything can walk in the door. there, I'm Hannah Calkins, and this is Progress Notes, a podcast from the APA Practice Organization. Back in March, APA's Committee on Rural Health met here in Washington, D.C., and I got the chance to interview four committee members from vastly diverse parts of the country and hear all about what it means to be a rural practicing psychologist. We each talked about the challenges and rewards of rural practice, as well as things like telepsychology, prescriptive authority, and the future of rural health care. These four psychologists are all from really different regions, from West Virginia to Hawaii, and they all deal with issues that are unique and specific to their communities and regions. But they all share one thing, a deep awareness of and concern about the scarcity of rural mental health providers and what that means in terms of access to services in their communities. Even if you're not a rural psychologist yourself, I think you'll enjoy hearing these psychologists' stories and learning more about why rural practice is important. My name is Emily Selby Nelson. I'm a clinical licensed psychologist working in rural West Virginia. I work with Cabin Creek Health Systems as their lead behavioral health provider, which means that I direct behavioral health services and recruit and train our new hires. Um, I also teach and train future rural integrated primary care psychologists. I'm also the chair of the Committee on Rural Health um, with APA. I actually was born and raised in West Virginia, and I noticed early on the imbalance in access to care. It was a big goal of mine to stay in my state to train because I thought it made the most sense to be trained on the very same population I wanted to serve. And then I chose integrated primary care during a internship rotation. During that rotation, it was just obvious to me that that balance of health care and behavioral health services um, with full integration was the model that I wanted to work in. I love my job. It's very rewarding to work in my community, providing care for the underserved. It's also very rewarding working with interdisciplinary to interprofessional teams. Staying means investing everything that I've been given. I think that's fair. Many of my mentors and my teachers and trainers and patients and colleagues have all taught me so much and I, I feel responsible to keep that where I where I obtained that. So to me it's it's giving back and, and keeping that investment in our state. I'm Sarah Beckman. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. I currently work in a federally qualified health center in rural Washington state. Dr. Beckman has practiced all over the country, but just like Dr. Selby Nelson, she's deeply invested in the community where she lives and works. I really wanted to do integration because, you know, access to care in rural populations is something that is very difficult, which led me to my current position at a federally qualified health center in central South Washington. I currently function as a behavioral health consultant, as a licensed clinical psychologist, so I'm a, a part of the medical staff in a primary care doctor's office, and I get the opportunity to see many individuals who wouldn't have access to care otherwise. I primarily work with a lot of the migrant Latino farm workers um, that are there. 
I love the community aspect of it. I love the fact that, you know, you become involved in, in patients' lives. And I like it. It's it's not fast-paced. It's slow-paced, you know, living. It's very simple, very basic type stuff, which is what I really like. But I think the biggest thing is you, you get involved in the community and you try to make a difference community-wide, not just individually. But rural psychologists don't always live and work among the people they serve. In fact, for some practitioners... No, it's, it's literally the exact opposite. Dr. Dustin Hammers lives in Salt Lake City, an urban area in a very rural region. A large part of his practice involves performing neuropsychological assessments and services via telehealth technology across huge distances. I am Dustin Hammers. I am a neuropsychologist at the University of Utah. One of my primary involvements is with my practice in teleneuropsychology. I'm from the Midwest originally, moved out to Salt Lake City about six years ago. And I'm now appreciating what frontier medicine and frontier practice really means. Individuals could be coming in to see me, but it would be a 10-hour drive. And so we were able to see them in a much closer location for their purposes. It was a real surprise at the lack of services that are available in certain sections of the country. I grew up in Appalachia. And so I was I was used to the idea of rural health care. And then... Yeah, moving to Salt Lake City, it's an urban setting. I knew it was different than Appalachia, but I didn't really understand how different. And so it was it was the surprise and becoming more aware of just how remote some individuals live in the Intermountain West. I think it really comes down to understanding specifically where the person is, which is a little different than a lot of other individuals working in in rural settings. It's making sure you're on the same page of knowing where the individual is coming from uh, and knowing what potentially could be some of their cultural shared experiences. And that's definitely not something that is taught in grad school in any way. I'm Dr. Julie Takishima Lakaza. Some rural providers, like Dr. Takashima Lakaza from Hawaii, cover those huge distances themselves by plane. Basically, I'm a generalist that specializes in integrated behavioral health. One thing that is unique about the rural communities that I serve is that Hawaii technically is, is all rural and remote and geographically isolated. And even further, within Hawaii, our most rural communities are on the neighbor islands. So I've actually, as part of my work, in federally qualified community health centers have commuted by airplane every week to work because I'm based on Oahu, which is where Honolulu, the capital is. Um, But I'll travel back and forth to like Lanai or Molokai or Hawaii Island, the big island. And so in some ways, it's kind of fun to commute by plane, but it's also really exhausting. Figuring out how to keep that sustainable is kind of a challenge in and of itself, just in terms of how disruptive it is to quality of life and figuring out how to balance work and family and other, you know, other important aspects of life. One thing these communities all seem to have in common is a severe lack of psychologists and other mental health providers, which means that rural practitioners often have to be generalists. Like Dr. Takashima Lakaza, Dr. Beckman sees rural practice as a sort of specialty in generalizing. For me, the biggest challenges I see on a daily basis, um, number one is just access to care. Most psychologists or most people don't want to practice rurally because it can be very isolating. And there's such a need. You have to be a generalist. I have to see whatever comes to the door. And some people, you know, that's not a good fit for them. I have to be able to manage the depression person as well as the psychotic individual who is not on their medication 
addictions as well as maybe a teenager with an eating disorder or a substance use problem, you know, we have to be able to generalize that. So I think because they don't have access, you're, you're kind of it. So rural practice requires a specific set of skills, and those skills depend on the community you practice in. In other words, the skills required aren't just clinical, according to Dr. Takashima Lakaza. Within, within those commonalities and the specifics that come up are that there are clear, distinct cultural differences also. And so I think one important distinction, again, going back to this idea that as a rural provider, that's a specialty, is that you're not just a specialist in terms of your ability to understand and competently practice as a generalist and treat whatever walks through the door across disorders, across lifespan, but also you, you become competent on the specific culture, the conditions, the context that differs from probably every rural community, really, because every rural community has their own histories and contexts and biases and strengths. Dr. Selby Nelson would agree. So in terms of rurality as a, a general concept, there are themes in practice across rural settings, such as un- underserved communities, barriers to care, such as transportation issues, financial strain, multi-level pressures on families and individuals to balance a number of hardships all at once, and then also the cultural aspects that make accessing care a little less acceptable, like the tendency to want to keep things in the home, not share with strangers, not trust professionals, worry about consequences of sharing information. So, so there are some, some normal themes across rural areas, but I would say in terms of the need of, of each individual rural area, it does vary. I treat two different rural communities that are about 45 minutes apart, and they're both very unique in terms of what I end up treating, and, and each community has different daily struggles. One was affected by a recent flood that was 10 to 30 feet in most areas, so they were devastated as a community. And so obviously that need is very unique from the other community, which is still rural, but closer to the main urban area. Um, and also has not recently, at least, (laughs) suffered a devastating disaster like the flood in the other town. And so I I think we just have to keep in mind that every rural area has different risks and different environmental pressures and limitations, which can affect need and can also affect social determinants of health. This may be especially true for Dr. Takashima Lakaza in Hawaii. An example would be that Native Hawaiian culture is, is very predominant, but then there's a lot of influence from Asian cultures, Japanese, Chinese, Korean, and gift giving has a particularly salient significance in this culture. And if you refuse a gift from someone, that can be actually seen as a, a betrayal of the relationship. It's not just rude, it's actually kind of a betrayal of the relationship. So we have, you know, ethical guidelines about accepting gifts from patients and things like that. And honestly, in, in especially in rural communities in Hawaii, most of that just kind of has to go out the door and you, you have to prioritize that therapeutic, that patient relationship over, you know, those specific ethical guidelines. And I actually don't know how much gift giving is that salient of a cultural characteristic in other indigenous populations, but it definitely is in Hawaii. And it's often food too, (laughs) which is kind of, you know, which is kind of fun. But yeah, I think there's these specific differences that come up that create these special, unique ethical considerations that may not be shared across rural communities. The unique contexts that Dr. Hammers has to navigate are a bit more practical. For one, there's the equipment and infrastructure required on both ends to conduct a telepsychology session. In in terms of the telehealth technology, it isn't just like Skype. There needs to be heavy encryption, double encryption, and 
the bandwidth is really large. So usually it's a pretty specialized machine. We have one. There's one on the other side in a clinic. If things were much more easily available in services using an, an iPad, for example, like a FaceTime, then, then yeah, that could be conducted much more easily someone sitting at home. He also has to deal with some complex licensing issues. A multi-state licensing initiative called the Psychology Interjurisdictional Compact, or SIPACT, is meant to simplify those issues, but it isn't in effect yet. And so some of the details about that is that I am in Utah, and a lot of the services I provide are in Jackson, Wyoming. And so I, I need a Wyoming license to be able to practice that. Many of my patients are from Idaho or Montana who will make the trip into Wyoming. And so the law is I have to have a license for the state that the patient is sitting in. And so if we were just having them interview at home, I would then likely need to have a, a license for where the patient's living, and that could be many. So there's, there's also practical issues surrounding that. These four practitioners also said that their colleagues who are not in rural practice sometimes have some misconceptions about what rural practice entails. Well, particularly in the setting that I am, it can be perceived by other clinicians, faculty, staff. There can be some notion of simplicity to the, to the patients, to the problems. Other times, those ideas about rural practice are pretty accurate. Um, I definitely think that a lot of my colleagues acknowledge that it's challenging and difficult and kind of a little bit like, so glad you have a passion for that. <laughs> so the perception that rural psychologists are often pretty isolated is an accurate one, but there are lots of ways to overcome it. Dr. Selby Nelson stays engaged through communication technologies and involvement in professional organizations. I work in integrated primary care, which means I'm the only behavioral health person on site. What we do, though, to overcome a lot of the barriers with that is to stay connected via electronic connections like telephone and also Google Chat or electronic health record messaging systems. So although that is a challenge of rural practice being isolated, there are things that you can build into your practice to kind of overcome that barrier. I would say the other assumption about rural practice is the assumption that you're not involved or that access is lower to more leadership opportunities and engagement in extra professional activity. I think, again, this is on some level based on where you, where you are and how remote and rural you are. But nowadays, there's a way to stay connected through your, your state, provincial, territorial associations, and also with your national associations like APA. Likewise, Dr. Takashima Lakaza sees governance as an important aspect of her work. Hawaii, because it's geographically isolated, is always kind of has to be careful not to become too isolated. Um, that's just, there's some of that, that's just organic, that's unavoidable. But I see being involved in our national association and particularly governance as a way to kind of bridge that gap between our, our little local association and what's going on nationally. And as a bridge, I hope that I can kind of share resources um, bring resources back to Hawaii with me when I return, and also bring Hawaii's unique issues to the table. It's also really important for rural practitioners to be involved with advocacy efforts. I also think another piece with leadership is the role of advocacy. That was a big light bulb that went off for me. I, I think my first experience was with um, the West Virginia Psych Association and then some other national level leadership opportunities. And specifically with the Practice Leadership Conference, that one really just 
hit me perfectly with, with what my advocacy experience and, and goals were. It gave me a chance to really see the bigger picture of how I could help my patients and help communities. So I, I do think that when you're in a rural area, it is a risk to focus primarily on the clinical needs because they are so high. And so I feel like being involved in leadership roles and having colleagues support and mentorship bridges that gap bridges that isolation. And so I really want to stress the importance of mentorship. That's been a game changer for me in terms of isolation and and professional development. The lack of mental health providers in general in these rural areas also means that there are very few providers available to prescribe medication. The Movement for Prescriptive Authority, or RXP, is somewhat divisive among psychologists, and not all of them support it. But for this group, it's a significant issue. I was struck when I moved out to Utah, I moved to Salt Lake City, of the lack of services that I just took for granted in Ohio and Pennsylvania and Michigan. The primary care docs are the ones who are providing the majority of the services, and the primary care docs are similarly providing a lot of the treatment for things like bipolar and schizophrenia, which is very concerning given the, the impact of those conditions. And so... Um, it's, it's very much uh, an issue of paucity of services. I do not have prescription privileges. However, the primary care physicians are viewing me as an expert and are specifically asking for recommendations, which I very quickly state that's outside of my jurisdiction, but at the same time working with them, trying to connect them with pharmacists, trying to give them anecdotal information from, I mean, from what I've gathered, always with the giant caveat that I do not have a a license to prescribe. Even though psychologists in Washington state don't have prescriptive authority, Dr. Beckman is taking steps to support prescribers however she can. I'm currently in the process of working on my postdoctoral master's in psychopharmacology, so I'm also doing that because uh, we do have access issues for psychiatrists. We do not have hardly any access, and so when we have folks coming out on medications from hospitalization, how do we manage that? Because primary care physicians are not trained specifically in some of the medications people are coming out on, like antipsychotics or bipolar medications. Um, my hope with by taking these classes was is to better be able to support patients and providers in the primary care setting manage those types of concerns um, because we, you know we don't have access for that. Given these provider shortages and huge access issues, how can we attract more psychologists to rural practice? Dr. Hammers has one idea. Can this be like pie in the sky? Yep. Better reimbursement rates. If the services were reimbursed in a better fashion, providers would be able to do a number of additional things involving outreach. There are so many psychologists who the reimbursement rates are really low. They are just grinding out the caseload to be able to make ends meet. And then they have to make a decision about outreach services and community involvements and bringing their expertise in different fashions. Dr. Selby Nelson says that the integrated care model is a really smart one for rural areas, and so more resources are needed to help develop that. Funding support and support for integration is necessary, so I hope that we see that continue and that it's not threatened further. And then in terms of recruitment and retention, one one thing that the Committee on Rural Health is focused on is is trying to build recruitment and retention efforts across the U.S. in rural areas and ha- helping people have a better understanding of why you might want to consider this career, um, what the payoffs are, and how to overcome any, any of the difficulties that come up. 
And I think the more training opportunities you have at the graduate level is another foot in the door strategy for recruitment. That's how I, I got the bug. <laughs> and so it was just wonderful to, to have the perfect position available and one where I could grow professionally and not have to leave my state to grow in my career. And so it, more opportunities like that, that's one of the reasons why I teach is, is to have them see what it looks like, get a taste of it, try it with good mentorship and support. And then hopefully they'll take that knowledge and say, I want to come back or at least find another rural area and pursue a similar career there. Finally, these providers have lots of great advice to share for their colleagues and for students who might be going into rural practice or may be considering it. Dr. Takashima Lakaza says just dive in, but do your research first. I would definitely say find a practicum or internship opportunity and kind of just kind of just dive in and it's hard to really describe the experience of working in a rural community again especially because each community is different um, and so in some ways you just kind of have to experience it when I was looking into you know what I wanted to specialize in I did a lot of informational interviewing um, and that was really helpful for me and I think what drew me ultimately to these rural communities was just hearing over and over from these practicing psychologists how passionate they are about what they were doing and and yet feeling also like they were always kind of on the on the verge of kind of maxing out their capacity to serve these communities in many cases it's just one person serving you know maybe thousands of people so for me at least informational interviewing was a really neat way to get kind of get a taste of what that might be like and then kind of piqued my curiosity my interest enough that I was like okay I'm going to try it I'm going to find a position that will allow me to experience it and see what it's all about. Dr. Beckman says to keep an open mind. Man, be open to learning about the community in which you work in. I think that's the biggest thing. Sometimes psychologists can come in and, you know, we're from, we're not typically from there probably. And so we come in with our training, our experiences, and you have to come in with an open mind of wanting to learn about the uniqueness that is the community, to learn about the people that you're working with on a daily basis. Um, You know, being open to taking a back seat and saying, you know, I don't know it all. Tell me, tell me about your community. Tell me about, you know, what makes your culture or your community, you know, unique. I want to learn. I'm here to learn and then apply what we know within the context of the culture of the community. I think that's, that's the biggest thing. We come in with an idea about what we think is going to work in a community. And we forget that you have to take into consideration the uniqueness of the community and the culture and the people which you serve. You have to be able to learn about that and apply the things that we know in a in an effective manner with them. And finally, Dr. Selby Nelson says to look at the big picture. Another piece of advice for anyone considering rural practice would be trying to find a way to balance uh, multiple roles because I think that that's something that you need to buffer yourself from burnout. Teaching, doing research, and advocacy work, and mentorship on top of the practice that you have is vital. I think that that connects you to the greater community in your psychology field, also your community um, locally, and I think it gives you a, a greater grasp on the meaning of your services that you're providing and the relevance of what that what that is for your patients and then also for the greater field of rural practice. Thanks for listening to Progress Notes, a podcast keeping tabs on the practice of psychology. This episode was produced by me, Hannah Hawkins, with help from Tammy Barnes and Jewel Edwards-Ashman. 
Next month, Jewel will bring you an episode about Medicaid. The ways that we could improve Medicaid expand on its strength. Its strength is the state and the community. And you have to play to that community's strengths to be able to figure out how do we care for them. Don't miss it. Subscribe to Progress Notes on iTunes or SoundCloud and follow us on Twitter at APA Practice.